Father, we come before your uh, presence this morning. We love you. We praise you. We're so thankful for the opportunity you've already given us today to sing and declare your worth and your grace uh, through song, to approach your throne through prayer, to be here with the fellowship of believers, to witness the gospel through baptism that you have, that we have in Christ died to self and we've been raised to a brand new life, made a new creation in Christ Jesus. So our hearts are full today and as we come to your word, we, we expect, we anticipate, Father, we long for you to speak, for you to address our needs, for you to open our hearts and our minds, for your spirit to be at work, for you to speak louder than I can speak, for you to speak and apply your word in ways that, that I have no idea the needs. There are hundreds and hundreds of needs represented in this room, and, and I, I, I'm aware of mine, some of them. I'm blind to some of them, but I, I'm aware of my needs. I, I'm aware of a few needs here, but Lord, you are aware of every single need, every single person, even the number of hair on our head. You know everything. And so we are absolutely depending on you as, as we come to your word, as we submit ourselves to you and to the moving of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak directly and clearly to each and every one of us and that your will would be accomplished. We pray, God, that you would continue to watch over and continue to kindle the the flame of revival that uh, seems to be spreading across college uh, campuses, and we just ask for this generation, Lord, that you would, in a, in a very powerful, God-sized, God way, that you would just capture. Lord, there's so many tools and so many ways the enemy has captured this generation, but you are greater, and to, to taste and, and see that the Lord is good is greater than anything the enemy has offered or has enslaved us to. And so I just pray, God, that, that you would continue this mighty uh, move and help us to be humble and holy and hungry. And that, God, you would, you would allow that uh, fire and thirst for God to spread according to your will, if it be so. We ask across our entire nation of all ages and all generations. We all desperately need it. We lift up Turkey and Syria today. Lord, a nation, nations that are held captive by a false religion that offers no hope through a false prophet, a false God who offers no hope, no salvation, no resurrection, no forgiveness, no substitutionary sacrifice, there's nothing in that to save and to be assured of salvation because there's only one Jesus. There's only one Savior. And so we ask God for the church that is that the indigenous church that you would give them strength to shine the light in a really, really dark and difficult and dismal place. And those that come in from other nations and those that come in to bring relief, everyone that bears the name Jesus, God, would you help them have conversations and give them wisdom and give them doors and, 
and, and through, the, uh, through the offering of a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, would you open hearts and, and lives and minds to the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. We ask God that you would save uh, Muslims by the thousands through this and because of this horrible disaster, would you do something wonderful to bring glory to your name? Turn it for the good. Cause the gospel to flourish in a hopeless place. Now we ask you, God, to help us, help us, help us be attentive to your word and your spirit. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So last week, we made the ob- observation that if you want to improve your physical condition, you have, you have to set a goal. If you want to lose weight, if you want to pursue fitness, whatever it might be, if, if the doctor has prescribed that you need to do something to change your lifestyle, whatever it might be, you have to set a goal, and then you have to develop a step-by-step plan that's going to enable you to reach that goal. It might be just regaining strength or mobility from an injury or from a surgery. It might be increasing your speed or your endurance for an athletic goal that you have in mind. Or just simply, you just simply want to be healthier. But whatever the goal, you have to have a plan and you have to work the plan. You can't just have a plan. You have to work the plan to get results. The same holds true in our spiritual lives as believers. We have to keep our eyes on the goal. And the goal is Christ. The goal is Christ. Our desire is to worship and to glorify and to honor Christ. And in so doing, we become more and more Christ-like in our behavior and in our lives and in our witness. That's the goal of the Christian life, to be more like Christ and less like will and more like Christ. Every day, that's the goal. Christ is the goal. To reach that goal, we need a plan. Paul says it this way, work out your own salvation. Work out your own salvation. And and in this text, Paul gives us at least three vital steps in this salvation workout plan. He, He tells us how to work out our own salvation. He tells us what to remove from a salvation, our salvation workout plan, and what to add to our salvation workout plan. So to in, improve your physical health, you, will, you, you need to remove some things. You need to remove some things from your life and you need to replace them with better, healthier choices. That's, that's just the way it is. And that simple equation, remove the bad and replace with good, that simple equation rings true in our spiritual lives as well. So that's where we're headed this morning. But first, we need, to just, we need to recap what was said last week and finish up point one, and then we'll move into points two and three. 
How to work out your salvation. That's point one. How to work out your salvation. Christ is our goal. Christ is our motivation. Looking to Christ is what motivates. Looking to the goal is what moves us and motivates us to work out our own salvation. And in working out our salvation, our our focus needs to be on our faith. To work out my salvation, my focus needs to be on on my faith, on, on my heart, on my blind spots, on my walk with the Lord, not on everyone else's. Instead of nitpicking everyone else's spiritual journey, we need to begin to nitpick our own spiritual journey. Focusing on where we are with the Lord. The things that we need in our life. The things that we need to remove from our lives. Work out your own salvation. How? First, Paul says, with fear and trembling. Well, why fear and trembling? Now, I have two answers for that. And we don't, last week, we only got through answer one. So I'm going to recap answer one, and then we'll add the second answer or the second reason why I think Paul would phrase it that way. Work out your own salvation. How, Paul? With fear and trembling. It's that serious. So we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling first. Here's the first point. To make certain we have a salvation to work out. And that's, that's a place for great fear and trembling. Now, I want to hopefully uh, maybe clarify from last week and not confuse. I don't want you to be confused about your salvation. I do want you to work it out with fear and trembling. I, I do want to work it out with fear and trembling. Because when you begin to say, do you even have a salvation to work out? That's fear and trembling territory. That's not comfortable, easygoing territory. And I think for for, for some of us, when we start talking about, well, we need to do a self-examination, a heart check to make sure that we're even saved. That's an uncomfortable subject, so we get uncomfortable, so we don't like it. That's Paul's point. Fear and trembling is never comfortable But it is necessary for some things. And to know that you know that you know that you know that when you draw your last breath here, you enter into glory, that's as serious as it gets. That needs fear and trembling. Checking your own heart. So I don't want to confuse us, but I hope to clarify, but we do need some fear and trembling. So if you say you are a follower of Christ, that you are saved, and yet you ground your salvation, your salvation experience, your salvation testimony, in your mind what it means to be a Christian, if you ground that on anything but Christ, anything but Christ, and what he's done for you, in his life, death, and resurrection. And in turn, because of who Christ is and what he's done for you, now your love and devotion to him 
If you ground your salvation in anything else except that, then I want you as the pastor of Grassy Pond Church, as the preacher for the day that you're here listening to, I want you more than anything else in your life to work that out with fear and trembling. Because nothing saves you but Christ. And it's so very easy to let religion and religious things take the place of Christ in our salvation. And if all you have are religious things and religious steps and you don't have Jesus and you're not in love with Jesus, then work that out right now with fear and trembling. Because none of us are promised tomorrow. Now, if you love Christ, if you, if you desire to worship him and grow in him and honor him with your life, and you know you're not perfect, you know you stumble and fall, you know that you're a sinner, you know you don't get it right, but your desire, you love him, you want to honor him, you want to worship him with your life, and because of that, your life does exemplify somebody that loves Jesus. Your life doesn't exemplify the world. Your life doesn't look like somebody that's following all the steps of the world. In your relationships, in your decisions, in your lifestyle, in your habits, you don't look like a copy of the world. You look like a copy of Christ. You look like salt and light. If, if that's you, in your heart of hearts, you say, man, I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't get it right every day, but boy, I love the Lord. I want my life to count. I want to honor him and work. You've got it. You got it because you got him. So here's the point of clarification. As you work out your own salvation, as I work out my own salvation, make sure we haven't replaced the message of the gospel with a means of hearing or responding to the gospel. It's the gospel that saves, not the method or the means that brings the gospel to you. Jesus saves. It's the power of the gospel, Paul says, that saves. Not the method or the means that brought the gospel to you. So if you say, I'm a Christian because I was baptized. Baptism is not your salvation. Baptism is your profession that I've been saved and now I want people to know I follow Christ. He changed my life. He's my Lord. I'm with him. I'm with Jesus. Going through the water doesn't save you. That, that's not the message. That's not the Christ. If you say I'm a Christian because I had an emotional experience, or I prayed a prayer, or I walked down an aisle. Last week we used illustration, or I spoke with Martin, or I spoke with Pastor Will. Those are means 
to bring the gospel to you or ways in which you can respond to the gospel, they are not the gospel. You can walk up and down that aisle a thousand times and never be changed. That doesn't save you. Having a conversation with me and Martin doesn't save you. Joining the church doesn't save you. Those are means, they're not the message. They don't save. Believing the message, which means believing the object of the message, the subject, Christ, and embracing Christ, that's what saves us. Christ saves us. Now, I know that distinction is subtle, but it's very deceptive because I hear it so often. When people are describing their salvation, they're not saying things like, I was a sinner and God convicted me of my sin and I knew that I needed Jesus. I knew he was my only hope and I surrendered my life to Christ because without him, I'm done. And, and Christ changed my life. I don't, I don't deserve it, but Christ changed my life. I know I'm saved. I don't hear that enough. I hear more of, well, I joined the church. Well, I was baptized. Well, I talked with so-and-so. Well, when I walked the aisle, well, and all of those things are good ways in which we respond or means to bring the gospel, but they're not Jesus. They're not Jesus. So if you were baptized because God saved you and made you a new creation and Jesus is your Savior and Lord, that's salvation. If when you walked down the aisle or prayed a prayer or talked with Martin, you were surrendering. In doing that, you were surrendering your all to Christ and receiving him into your life. That's salvation. If through the means, through the means, or through the method, you became a lover of Christ, that's salvation. So the bottom line of all of that is this. Are you trusting your soul to a method or to good works, or to being pretty decent, or through the method are you clinging to Jesus? Through the method are you clinging to Jesus? Is Jesus the point? Not what mom and dad wanted me to do. Not what everybody else at the church was doing. But through this, I'm clinging to Jesus as my everything. That's salvation. That's the first point of fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I urge every single one of us, nothing is more urgent than that. 
That's the first point. Why would Paul say, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling? Well, the first reason is you got to make certain you got a salvation to work out. And that calls for fear and trembling. Here's the second reason I think Paul phrased it that way. We need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because, listen to this, there's no way we can work out our salvation in our own strength. Did you get that? We need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because there's no way we can work out our own salvation in our own strength. That's why Paul says fear and trembling, not, oh, I'm going to do this now. And that's the biggest difference. Listen to me carefully. That's the biggest difference between physical strength and spiritual strength. We cannot grow spiritually the way we grow physically. Hear me well. We cannot grow spiritually the way we grow physically, which is just by trying harder, just by doing more, just by sweating more, just by committing more, just by rededicating again. Just by committing again. Just by doing it again. Just by making another list. Just by keeping, keeping on that list. We cannot work out our own salvation that way. You can work out that way in the gym. That's the way I work out in the gym. I go to the gym with a list and I hammer it as hard as I can. But that doesn't work for me in my spiritual life. I get hammered. We can't grow that way. Working out our own salvation with fear and trembling sounds more like this. God, I can't break this addiction without your power. God, I can't get over this broken heart without your healing. God, I can't put away this worry in my own strength. God, I can't control my tongue without the conviction of your spirit. God, I won't have the courage to share my faith and to live my faith with my friends around me who are going to hell without your courage. God, I can't, I can't stop doing this without your power. I need you. Help me my flesh is weak but your grace is sufficient I can't do this apart from a mighty move of you in my heart Lord I need your grace I need your strength I need your spirit that's what fear and trembling sounds like and if we're not there yet, we don't get it. If you haven't come to the end of yourself, not only in your salvation, but in your sanctification, if you haven't come to your, the end of yourself yet, you ain't there yet. You ain't got it. So that leads us really to the second point of how? How do you work out your salvation? Well, number one, Paul says, with fear and trembling. 
And then that leads to number two, how do you work out your salvation with utter dependence on God's sufficient grace? Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you. Isn't that wonderful? It is God who works in you. So our working out our own salvation is not finally, ultimately, solely dependent on us. It's God's work in us that causes us to work. It's what God works in that causes us to work out. That moves us, that energizes us, that gives us the grace and strength that we need. So working out our salvation, working out our salvation, living on the outside, what we say we hold dear on the inside is a work of God. It's a work of grace. It's God at work in our lives. If you desire to please him with all your heart, that's God working, not you, not me. If you're starting to set aside things and strive for things and cling to things and yearn for God, that's God. That's not you. That's not me. Now, that doesn't mean we're passive. Oh, listen, in in our, in our walk with the Lord, we will sweat, we will cry, we will plead, we will pray, we will fast, we will strive, we will wrestle, we will run. We will labor. All of those are biblical terms. But our working out, our working is his working in us. Which should lead us really to some desperate praying, right? Because if we're not working, he's not working, right? So now we really, we really come desperate, which is the only way to come. I don't see much in my life over the last six months, God. Would you work? We need God's grace in every part of our sanctification. Do you see what Paul says here? He says, for it is God who works in you. And what what kind of work? What's God doing? Listen to this. Listen to the next phrase. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now that's good news, church. God's, we need God's grace for every single component of our sanctification. Every single step, every single aspect of walking with the Lord. Both the will to do it and the work for his good pleasure. So God works in us. This is all grace. It's all good. God works in us the desire to grow and the effort we need to exert in order to grow. Do you get that? God not only works in us the things that we need to do to grow, he works in us the want to, the the desire, the passion, the yearning, the hungering, the thirsting to grow. Apart from that, we don't. 
We either want nothing or we want everything else but God. So when God's at work, both to will and to work, when that's happening, boy, we start working out our own salvation. You can't help it if something's bubbling up inside of you. It's got to come out, right? If you shake up a soda and take off the top, watch out. If something's happening on the inside, it's going to reach the outside. But often our biggest problem is our want to, isn't it? Think about this with me. Think about your walk with the Lord. Think about your struggling and your wrestling. Think about your praying. Think, think about your own journey with God. Most of the time, the problem is not because I don't know what to do, God. If I'm going to grow, if I'm going to grow, I don't know what to do. I don't know that I need to be in church. I don't know that I need to be reading the Bible. I don't know that I need to be praying. I don't know that I need to be getting this junk out of my life. I, I just don't know what to do. That's not the problem, is it? The problem is the want to. <laughs> I know what to do. I just don't want to. That's why this is good news. For God is at work in you both to will and to work. Isn't that good? I don't know if it's good for you or not. It doesn't seem like it's, it doesn't seem like it's good for you, but, but I get beat up and tired and dry and weary all the time, and it's really good because now I know I can go to God and say, God, I need help with my want to. I need help with my want to. How to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling and with utter dependence on God's grace. Well, I'm going to show you that I'm not making all this up. I'm, I'm stepping right in line with Paul here. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15.10, write that reference down in your notes or in the margin of your Bible there, 1 Corinthians 15.10. This is Paul. Now, Paul has to be the greatest Christian to ever walk the planet after Jesus Christ, right? I mean, Paul is a man of God, and he's strong, and he's bold. Paul is awesome. Man, when, when you read about Paul's life, you, you want to follow that, right? Listen to Paul's testimony. Listen, listen to what Paul says about his sanctification. Listen to what Paul says about his walk with God. 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. Paul says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Here where he attributes, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. So what he worked in got worked out. His grace is never in vain. If his grace is there, it's doing something. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He's talking about the other apostles. That's, that's bold. I worked more than any of the apostles. Now listen to the next words. But it wasn't me. I worked harder than any of them. Work out your own salvation. But it wasn't me. For it is God who is at work in you. Listen to what he says. But the grace of God that is in me. It wasn't me. Because Paul knew enough about himself, he knew enough about his flesh. 
We need to get to know ourselves enough. He knew enough about himself. He knew enough about his flesh. He knew enough about that residual sin nature that keeps clinging to us to know that it ain't going to happen on my own. But if God in his grace moves, oh boy, watch out. So here, here's the point, church. When we flex our spiritual muscles, it's actually not us. It's actually God flexing his big, strong, sufficient muscles through these weak vessels. Weak. When I look strong spiritually, it has nothing to do with will. So don't thank will, don't praise will, thank God and praise God. Therefore, God gets the glory and we get the joy. There's no, there's no greater joy if you're a believer than living for Jesus. There's no greater joy. And when God's grace is at work in us and we strive for, toward the Lord, there's no greater joy and God gets the glory because we know Without his grace, without his grace. Well, that was point number one. I'm, I'm headed for a three-parter, but we're not going to do that. Y'all buckle up. We're going to hit points two and three together pretty quickly, okay? I'll, I'll appreciate your time, so I won't take advantage. That's how to work out your own salvation. So what to remove from your salvation workout? Well, he tells us, doesn't he? In verse 14, if we are going to improve our physical health, there are things we have to cut out of our life. In the same way, our salvation workout plan includes some things we must remove. They must be gone. Paul says, namely, grumbling and disputing. He says, that's got to go. That's got to go. Complaining and arguing, that's got to go. You can't grow spiritually like that. You can't, shine, you can't work out your own salvation with that. Now, that could be complaining about the church. That could be complaining about the pastor. That could be just complaining about life in general. Some people just love to complain. That's not good spiritually for you and for no one else. So Paul says, just stop it. Don't do it. And don't disguise your complaint as a prayer request. And don't try to legitimize your complaint as a concern. Here's the difference. A concern involves sin. A real legitimate concern always involves there's a sin somewhere. And that, make, that raises a concern. So something is being done that shouldn't be done or something is being neglected that should not be neglected. The, the Bible says something should not be done that's being done. The Bible says something should not be neglected that's being neglected. That's a concern. A complaint is simply I'm not getting my way. It's not working out for me. This is not the way I want it. I don't like what I'm hearing because it's not what I want. It's not what I'm used to. 
Not the way I would do it. Not the way I would think about it. Complaining is radically self-centered instead of radically God-centered, gospel-centered, Christ-centered, lost-centered. Complaining is so easy to do. We all do it. I do it. I complain. I complain all the time. I complain when somebody's driving slower than me in front of me. I complain all the time. Paul said, don't do that. Don't be so radically self-centered that every little thing that doesn't go your way, you've got to speak about it, you've got to gripe about it, you've got to grumble about it. When was it ever our way and not God's way? A disputer has the same problem. He always argues because in his mind he's always right. So therefore he has to argue. He's a disputer. His eyes are on self and not on the Savior. Grumbling and disputing destroy unity. They evaporate humility and they suck the gospel life out of the church, which is Paul's point. So Paul says don't do that. Why? Verse 15. Verse 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Why? Why you got to cut that out? That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Here it is. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. The degree to which you want to shine is the degree to which you will fight against your complaining and your disputing. I want them to be saved. I want all of them who are in Cherokee County and not in a church, I want them in a church. I want us to add services. I want us to move to the gym. I want us to build a building. I want us to, I want us to do whatever we had to do to accommodate the people that want to get close to God. And I don't care how it happens, what the method is, what the means is, what the service is. If it's reaching them, let's do it. The degree to which you want to win the world is the degree to which we control this complaining and disputing. 90% 90 of Cherokee County is at home today and they don't care. Does that bother you? Those are the things that should bother us. Because that's the goal, to shine in the darkness. I I came to, I don't know how you came to Christ, but I came by grace. So how do we create an environment where God's grace is abundant and moving. What to remove from your salvation workout plan? We got to roll here. We got to roll. Here we go. Number three, what to add. So that was the negative. That was me. You know, you say that the preacher was meddling this morning and, you know, that was that. Now here's the, here's the good. Here's the, here's the refreshing. Here, here's the hope. Here's what you add. So he said, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Get rid of that. But in verse 16, here's what we add. Here it is. Holding fast to the word of life. 
That's what you add to your salvation workout, holding fast to the word of life. Well, now, when you're holding fast to something, it means you've totally given yourself to it. He didn't say kind of, kind of dangle with the word of life. He said, hold fast, cling to, embrace, love, treasure. When you're holding fast to something, you don't give room. If you're holding fast to something, you don't have room to grip anything else. Because you're white knuckled on this. You're holding fast. You're not going to let this go. This is what means the most. You're not going to let this out of your sight. This is what belongs in your heart. Let me, let me illustrate it this way by when the Bible uses that same term, hold fast. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, in light of men's day next week, here's my men's day message because we have a guest speaker. And he's going to be good, so come and hear him. Now, holding fast the word of life, I take that to mean 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17 teaches us that scripture is the word of life. John 6, 68, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, you have the words of life. So, so when Paul says, hold fast, cling to, grip with all your might, grasp, white knuckle the word of life, I take that to mean cling to the scripture in your heart, in, in your life, and the Christ that you find in the scripture. Cling to him. Hold fast the word of life. Now, let me illustrate it this way. Man, God tells us in his word, hold fast to the wife of your youth. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall hold fast to his wife. If we are holding fast to our wives, men, we won't have room for another woman. We won't have room to flirt or lust for other women. We won't have room to scroll through pornography. Why? Because she has our full attention. She has our full affection. We're clinging to her. Paul says, in your spiritual life, cling to Jesus like that. Hold fast the word of life. Hold fast the word of life that Christ has our full attention. Christ has our full affection. That leaves no room for sin, no room for excuse, no room for Satan, no room for self. Because we're clinging, we're holding, we're embracing, we're loving, we're following Christ. If you do that, the grumbling and disputing kind of takes care of itself, doesn't it? It's the same way in the physical. If you pour enough of the good habits into your life, you don't have time for the bad habits in your life. Now, what's the reason? Why does Paul say, hold fast, hold fast the word of life? Cling to the word of life. What's the reason? We see it in the very next verse or in the finishing of verse 16 and on through verse 17. So that, there's the reason. Hold fast to the word of life so that, here it is, in the day of Christ, that's where everything's going to mean everything. 
so that in the day of Christ, in other words, Paul is saying all the blood and tears that I have given so that you might know Christ and might glory in Christ and might live for Christ, they will not be in vain. I will happy shed as many tears as I need to and shed as much blood as I need to on your account if it's not in vain. So hold fast the word of life. Paul, the, the, the pastor heart of Paul is ringing loud right here. Loud right here. It's really not about him when he says, so that I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. If I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and offering of your faith, if you've really got it, how? Hold fast. Hold fast the word of life. Here's what Paul's saying. So that when Christ returns and I'm with him, you will be there too. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, utterly depending on the grace of God, doing away with anything that points to self. Holding fast the word of life. Why? The end of all is our joy. Paul says, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. If we get this, joy will be abundant and eternal. This is where it's found. Human life is a search for joy. Here it is. Don't miss it. Fear and trembling, don't miss it. Let's pray. Father, I've said a lot. I hope everything that I've said has been pleasing to you. I've, I've tried my best to not only teach the text, but teach the spirit of the text, Lord. And I need it to grip me as much as anybody else. I need it to grip me as much as anybody. I have far too less of fear and trembling in my life. I stand in need of your grace just as everybody in this room. Help us, Lord, to, through your spirit, to recognize exactly what grace that we need. Do, do we need the grace of coming to Christ? Do we need the grace of just surrendering some clutter out of our life to grow in Christ? Some, some repenting, some changing, some reviving that, that we might be more like Christ? Do, do we need Christ or do we need the, having Christ? Do we need to allow Christ to have more of us? There is no doubt. I don't think there's anybody in this room that's perfect. Biblically speaking, I know there's no one in this room that's perfect. We, we all need grace. We, we all need something. We all need something to remove from our salvation workout plan or to add to our salvation workout plan. So God, would you, would you, would you, would you 
May your will be done. In Christ's name, amen.